Chapter Twenty Seven of Herb of Grace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Herb of Grace by Rosa Nuchette Carey. Chapter Twenty Seven. Hugh Rossiter spins his yarn. Speak to me as to thy thinkings, as thou dost ruminate, and give thy worst of thoughts the worst of words. Othello. The reward of one duty is the power to fulfill another. George Eliot. Malcolm read the telegram twice. Then he took up his timetable. A quarter of an hour later he was in a hansom on his way to the station. With all his impracticable fads and fancies, he was not one to let the grass grow under his feet. It was quite early, barely noon, when he walked up the hill leading to the manor-house. Nevertheless, Mrs. Godfrey was evidently on the watch for him. "'Good man,' she said approvingly, "'I knew you would not fail me.' And then she led him into the morning-room, her own special sanctum, which opened into her husband's study." Colonel Godfrey always called it his study, though it may be doubted if he ever studied anything but his Times, Spectator, and his three favorite authors, Thackeray, Dickens, and Kingsley. But his wife was a great reader, and there were few modern books that she could not discuss and criticize. "'And now, my dear lady, what is wrong?' asked Malcolm. He spoke with the coolness of the well-bred Englishman, who refuses to give himself away." In reality, the telegram had made him very anxious. His old friend would not have summoned him without a good reason. But this was not apparent in his manner. "'Wrong,' she replied. "'I think everything is wrong. Mr. Rossiter has been making us so uncomfortable. By his account, Mr. Jacoby is a mere vulgar adventurer, if not worse.' "'And Mr. Rossiter knows him?' "'Yes, in a sort of way. Miss Jacoby is evidently the attraction there.' As he says himself, he knocks up against lots of shady characters in his nomadic existence. But you must question him yourself. It was Alec who made me send you the telegram, as Mr. Rossiter goes back to town this evening. "'You were quite right to send for me,' returned Malcolm, and then he followed her into a pleasant room with a bay window overlooking the front drive. Malcolm gave a slight start of recognition when he saw the American. It was not the first time he had seen the lean brown face and deep-set eyes, but he kept this to himself. In spite of his nasal twang and a little surface roughness, Hugh Rossiter was decidedly a gentleman. The mere fact of his presence at the manor-house was a sufficient proof of this. But he was evidently a very eccentric and unconventional being. In age he was about seven and thirty. Malcolm, who felt his position was somewhat delicate, hardly knew how to begin the conversation. But Colonel Godfrey soon put things on a comfortable footing. "'Look here, Rossiter,' he said frankly, "'we are all friends here, and you may speak out. Mr. Herrick is very much interested in this young fellow, Cedric Templeton, and acts as a sort of guide, philosopher, and friend to him. He has always put his foot down as far as the Jacobis were concerned.' He and my wife were dead against them. "'I never believed in the man,' observed Malcolm. "'There was no ring of true metal about him.' "'You are about right there,' returned the American. "'But I have come across worse fellows than Saul Jacoby. "'He is a clever chap, 
about as cute as they make em and knows a trick or two he is not too nice does not stick at trifles and the almighty dollar is his only deity do you mind telling my friend herrick all you said to us asked colonel godfrey not in the least if you have a taste for chestnuts and hugh rossiter laughed in a genial way i owe you a good turn colonel but here colonel godfrey held up a warning hand well i suppose i must spare your blushes so i will take up my parable may i ask you one question first interrupted malcolm how long have you known these people about six or seven years i should say was the answer jacoby was a billiard marker in san francisco when i first came across his trail and his sister had just married an italian count married leah jacoby married what on earth do you mean that's so returned the american coolly count antonio ferrari that was the name a hoary old sinner with a pedigree that nearly reached to adam and as rich and miserly as shylock he bid high for the girl i can tell you that but i believe our friend saul had a tough job to get her to marry him he is a greater brute than i thought him returned malcolm in a disgusted tone that poor girl then hugh rossiter looked grave it was a bit rough on her but jacoby was in queer street just then and the old fellow gave him a helping hand jacoby is an italian jew is he not mr rossiter nodded yes his father was an artist model in rome a fine-looking old fellow i believe and his mother sold flowers in the market some one told me she had been a model too and that they were rather a shady couple but peace to their manes they have joined the majority long ago and saul jacoby was a billiard marker yes till they turned him out and then he became valet to a young millionaire who had more dollars than brains i was shooting grizzlies in the rockies then and did not come across him again until eighteen months ago the millionaire was dead then he never had any constitution worth mentioning and he was evidently graduating for the idiot asylum you bet he would have taken a first class there for he had fits poor beggar so it was a mercy that he went where the good niggers go may i ask where you met jacoby mr rossiter to be sure you may and i have no objection to answer it was the hotel de belleville at paris he was sitting opposite to me at table d'hote and his clothes were so new and glossy that i contemplated them with admiration not unmixed with awe he had a valuable ring on his finger and a superb orchid in his buttonhole and looked like a millionaire himself things had improved with him and the billiard marker and valet were safely shunted miss jacoby was with him and here hugh paused a moment and she was handsomer than ever miss jacoby i suppose you mean the contessa ferrari no mr herrick the marriage had worked badly count antonio was an infernal brute excuse my strong language after a few months his behavior was so atrocious that the poor thing left him and fled to her brother for protection it would have been difficult nay impossible for her to obtain a divorce count antonio was a wily old rascal and he had too much influence at court there had been no proper settlements he had cheated them all through some people say he was mad that his father had been in a lunatic asylum but when he died he left all his money to charitable institutions when did he die hugh rossiter hesitated a moment some time in september i do not know the exact date 
but he had been failing for months. I know a cousin of his, Count Orsino, and he was asking me what had become of the woman he married. But I did not give him much information. But why does she call herself Miss Jacobi when she is really the Contessa Ferrari? Oh, that is just her craze. I believe she was a bit queer and unhinged when Jacobi got her back. Anyhow, he was obliged to pacify her a bit. She threw away her wedding ring and never again alluded to her wretched marriage, and he is obliged to give in to her. I believe Jacobi was properly frightened that time. When I saw them in Paris, Jacobi had just had a run of good luck. It is my private opinion he gambles. I once lost a good bit of money to him, but a burnt child dreads the fire, eh, Colonel? No more baccarat for me. And Miss Jacobi seemed in fairly good spirits? Yes, hesitatingly, but I fancied she had a fit of the blues sometimes, as though Count Antonio's ghost haunted her. Oh, by the by, he was still in the land of the living then. She and Jacobi seemed good friends, though she was evidently afraid of him. He told me one day, when he had been rather too free with the Burgundy, that she was in his way, that he wanted her to marry, and that he intended marrying himself, but he had promised her that her next husband should be young and an Englishman. I remember that this greatly surprised me. I understood that Count Antonio was living, I observed, but Jacobi only winked at me in a stupid sort of way. Oh, we know all about that, my boy, but the gout will soon finish him, and there is no hurry. Leah is not thirty yet, and she is handsomer than she ever was in her life, and he filled himself another bumper. Malcolm was silent. Hugh Rossiter had apparently finished his recital, for he took up his meerschaum and polished it tenderly, an action that was full of suggestion. But Colonel Godfrey put his hand on his arm. One moment, my dear fellow, and then we will go out and have a smoke before luncheon. I can see Herrick has something else to ask you. Hurry up, my boy, or our friend here will lose patience. I shall be sorry to tax Mr. Rossiter's patience, replied Malcolm, but I hope he will be good enough to satisfy me on one point. Is it your opinion, turning to him, that Saul Jacobi and his sister have any designs on my friend Cedric Templeton? Hugh Rossiter opened his eyes rather widely at this. "'Well, I suppose so. At least Jacoby means her to marry him.' Woof! with a droll gesture. "'This is getting a trifle hot. You will be telling me next that you did not know they are engaged.' "'Engaged! My good sir, excuse me, but this is no joke.' Mrs. Godfrey's face grew anxious. "'You never told us that, Mr. Rossiter,' she said rather reproachfully. "'I am not sure that I should have let the cat out of the bag now,' he replied with a laugh. "'If Mr. Herrick had not asked such a direct question. I am not one for meddling in other folks' business, but as this seems a grave matter, and my friend Saul is evidently playing the dark horse, I will tell you the little I know.' "'I shall be obliged to you if you will do so,' returned Malcolm, and Hugh Rossiter nodded good-humouredly. Well, then, I was dining at Gresham Gardens about a fortnight ago, and Jacoby told me in the course of conversation that his sister had never been to Oxford, and that they meant to run down for a day or two, and that a friend of theirs had offered to be showman and pilot them about the place. Malcolm muttered something, and Mr. Rossiter stopped and looked at him inquiringly. But as he remained silent, he resumed his narrative. 
They put up at the Rainlaw and had a good old time, and I believe, from a word Jacoby dropped, that the job was done then. I wanted to congratulate the lady, but Jacoby said that would do later on. His sister wished the engagement to be kept quiet. She had not been a widow for many weeks, and so on. So, of course, I took my cue. I am bound to say that Miss Jacoby seemed in unusually good spirits. "'And this is all you have to tell me?' asked Malcolm hurriedly. "'Well, now I call that ungrateful, Colonel,' with a droll look at his host. "'Here I have been talking myself dry for the last hour.' "'And I am infinitely obliged to you,' returned Malcolm, trying to smile. "'The question is, what are we to do next? There seems no time to be lost.' And then, before anyone could speak, he added, "'I think it would be best for me to go down to Oxford at once.' And as they all agreed that this would be the wisest course to pursue, Malcolm settled to go down by an early afternoon train. They went out on the terrace after this, and Hugh Rossiter entertained them with a description of his adventures in Colorado, to which Malcolm listened somewhat absently. But once, when Colonel Godfrey had left them for a moment together, the American broke off his story rather suddenly. "'Look here, Mr. Herrick,' he said quickly. "'I want to give you a straight tip.' if the youngster will not listen to reason and you find yourself in a fix just talk to the girl herself to miss jacoby for he was naturally surprised at this piece of advice yes to the fair leah herself oh the girl is not so bad considering her antecedents and the way she has been educated think of her own flesh and blood selling her to that son of belial old beelzebub i call him no wonder she got a bit queer jacoby knows how to manage her she is fond of him but she is afraid of him too you will have to get her alone remember that oh that's the difficulty besides i am not on visiting terms with the jacobys my good sir what does that matter i am to give you a straight tip am i not well then to the best of my knowledge miss jacoby is in kensington gardens soon after ten every morning she takes the dog for an airing before her brother is up saul is a lazy beast continued hugh rossiter and is seldom down before midday he takes his beauty sleep when the rest of the world is at work malcolm thanked mr rossiter cordially for this advice and then the colonel came back to them but as they walked back to the house he stole more than one glance at the young american the thin brown face was both intelligent and sagacious and there was a keen searching look in the brown eyes why was this stranger so anxious to help him he wondered was it mere good humour and a wish to please or had he any private reason of his own for desiring to break off this engagement had leah jacoby's strange beauty ensnared him too he seemed to know her habits as though he were a constant visitor at gresham gardens but his cool impassive manner gave no clue to his feelings and at this stage of the proceedings malcolm was not to be enlightened they parted in the friendliest manner "'Good luck to you, Mr. Herrick,' he said cordially. "'Don't forget my straight tip.' Mrs. Godfrey walked with Malcolm to the station. She wanted a few last words, she said, and her mankind had had their innings. "'There is one thing you must do, if Cedric refuses to listen to reason,' she said very seriously to him. "'You must go down to Staplegrove and tell his sisters everything.' "'I suppose I must,' he returned, but he spoke under his breath, for this new duty filled him with dismay. He had shaken off the dust of Staplegrove, as he believed, forever, 
and the thought that he must stand face to face with Elizabeth again turned him giddy. I suppose in that case I must do it, he went on. His hesitating manner made Mrs. Godfrey look at him. It is the only thing to be done, she repeated firmly. You must see them both, and tell them all Hugh Rossiter said. Dinah will be very much upset, but Elizabeth never loses her wits. She will grasp everything in a minute. Elizabeth has such a clear head, and she never muddles things. And then you can hold a friendly counsel. Of course I will do what I can to help them, he replied quietly, for he had been fully aware of Mrs. Godfrey's look. But as he sat in the first-class compartment, he told himself with some irritation that his position was a cruel one. It is Carlian who ought to be the family adviser now, he thought. If I could only wash my hands of this business. What a fool Cedric is to get himself into this mess. Good luck to think he has fallen among thieves for the second time. The young jackanapes seemed to have a natural affinity for sharpers and swindlers. That infernal cad Jacoby and here Malcolm boiled with impotent wrath as he thought of that dastardly conspiracy to entrap a young and innocent girl. "'I should like to horsewhip him,' he went on. "'How is one to keep one's hands off such a fellow? He may be a dark horse, as Rossiter says, but he will have to reckon with me.' And Malcolm straightened his shoulders with quite a martial air, as though he were ready to fight to the death. End of chapter 27